listening to the Living Room North Living Room North Living Room North podcast. Hey, what's up, TLR? Good to see everybody tonight. <clears throat> Thank you guys so much for being here. If this is your first time, welcome. My name's Heath. I work here at Brownsbridge with the high school ministry Inside Out. Um, this is not my first time at TLR. I get the honor and privilege of coming by and hanging out with you guys uh, at least a few times a year. And so uh, I'm so excited that you decided to be here tonight and to join us. If this is not your first time, welcome back. Love to see all you guys here tonight for part three of our series, That Hits Different. Um, if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, I'll give you a quick recap. Um, a couple weeks ago, our friend Lauren was here and she talked about uh, just really what Jesus's life looked like and how he went to uh, the people that... Uh, we're kind of on the outside, right? Like he, he went to the people who nobody else liked, the tax collectors. He was a friend of sinners. And she kind of challenged us with loving people like Jesus did because uh, he ultimately, you know, ruffled a lot of feathers in doing that. And last week, Brad picked up there and told us a story about when Jesus uh, stepped in to a lady who had been caught in adultery. And the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders of their day were trying to trap him in this like moral conundrum. And he uh, does what only Jesus can do and turns it on his head and shows love and compassion and grace, even in the midst of a tricky situation. And so tonight, uh, we're going to wrap up that series uh, in, in what I hope is a really impactful and powerful story uh, in the Bible. And uh, before I get into that, I was thinking just kind of like about my own life and, and how some of these stories of Jesus are honestly kind of difficult for me to relate to. Uh, maybe you're like me in some ways. Uh, I am a, a really big uh, fan of just justice, right? Like Brad told a story last week, if you were here, about people getting what they deserve. And I am just all in on that. Like I love when people get what they have coming to them. I like things to be fair and right. And, you know, it, it, it makes me feel good inside when the, the, the scales of justice come out balanced, right? And in my own life, I've, I've, I've experienced this. And when I was in high school, uh, I was 16 years old and it was a big day for me. And some of you guys have been there. Uh, this is not a plug for late night date night, but it could be. Uh, I was on my uh, first date with a girl I'd been crushing on for months. Finally, I had talked her into to going out with me, and you know, like most high school guys, I'd planned a really romantic night. Uh, we went to Zaxby's and then a movie, <clears throat> and so uh, on our way from Zaxby's to the movie, uh, you know, it was it was going well for me. Like surprisingly enough, I was kind of killing it. Like, and I should have known then that like something bad was going to happen. Uh, because we're we're deep in conversation. I think I had uh, put in like a mixed CD show my age. Uh, and it's like, I was playing some tunes for her uh, and we were talking about what songs we liked and, you know, that kind of stuff. And uh, the turn for the movie theater, uh, I just went right past it. It was on like a four lane kind of highway like thing. And uh, the turn was in the right hand lane and I realized it, but I was in the left hand lane and it was like a, uh, you know, like uh, one of those moments where I'm not going to make it. I'm just going to have to, you know, figure something out. So I go down a little ways and find like a, a little like a turn, like in the median and I whip around uh, in the median and start coming back the other direction so I could get to the turn to go to the movies. Uh, and as I turn around over like the hill behind me, I see in my rearview mirror, uh, a cop is behind me with his blue lights on. And, you know, as a 16-year-old, you know, I did the, the, the only logical thing that any of you guys would do. I'm like, no, it's definitely not me. So I get from the left lane over to the right lane. Well, he gets over to like the right lane. And I was like, there's a turn here. He must be, he must be going that way. So I get back over into the left lane. And he gets back over in the left lane. And I was like, this date is going south fast, you know. And uh, I, I finally pull over. And the cop comes up to my window. And he's real, like, you know, 
Barney Fife, like out here saving the day. And he shows up and, and he knocks, you know, like roll down the window. And this is the first time I've, I don't think this might've been the first time I'd ever been in a car that had been pulled over. So the only experience that I have in this situation is from like TV and movies, you know? So I'm like, what if I have drugs in the car? You know, like, and uh, I don't do drugs, never have, never did. Uh, they weren't there. And so, but I was like, I was just like, I could feel the sweat running down my face. The girl that I'm on a date with is laughing. She thinks it's funny. Uh, so I kicked her out of the car right there. And uh, that's not true. Uh, but I wanted to because I was like, this is not funny. Like, I, what have I done wrong? I, I was like, is that, was it an illegal U-turn? Am I about to get a ticket for an illegal U-turn on my first date? So I, uh, and I talked to Kai. He's like, son, do you have any, reason, any idea of the reason I pulled you over or whatever? I'm like, no, I, I, am, I am befuddled right now. I have no idea why you pulled me over. And he said, I clocked you doing... 70 and a 55 back there. I said, no, sir, you didn't. Like, I, I gave him the whole spiel. I was like, we're on a date. Ugh, come on, man, be cool. And I was like, I missed the turn. I did it. And then you, did, you came and I was, we did the little thing. And, and I was like, Do you not, did you not notice I was being weird? And he was like, yeah, I thought you were trying to get away from me. I was like, I was going so slow. I had just done, you know, I ran through the story for like a third time with him. And he was like, well, hold on, I'll be right back. And he takes my license and stuff. And I'm like, okay, I definitely talked my way out of that. I mean, I am pretty smooth at 16 years old, right? So he comes back and hands me the ticket, and um, I, I'm like, what? what? I, did you not hear the U-turn? The, the day, we're going to a movie. Like, I, I start running through it with him again, and he's like, no, I heard you. I just don't believe you. That's what I thought. I was like, you jerk. You know, it's like, I was like, this is why the public has a bad, you know, relationship with police. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. But I was thinking it in my head. And he was like, you know, if you want to contest it, you can show up for your court date there. And I was like, you know, and with all of the like testosterone I could muster in my body, I was like, we'll see you there. You know, like I, I was like, I, I will show up for that court date. So the court is like, it's like a month later, two months later. I, me and my dad go to this court date because obviously I'm a grown-up. And so I'm like, Daddy, please come with me. And so I go to this court date and, uh, you know, they, they, there's a million people in traffic court. You know, apparently this is a speed trap to the town. And, and they, they finally get to my name and, and, you know, they call me up and I tell the judge the whole story, the U-turn, the date, you know, the whole thing, the Barney Fife, you know, the whole, the whole, I go through the whole song and dance with him. And he's like, all right, well, his officer, you know, what's his name here? And crickets, he's not in the building. And so he's like, well, since he's not here, I'm like, boom, justice is served. I'm getting out of this. He's like, I'll see you next month. I'll have you come back. And I was like, the American justice system is broken. You know, I, I, am, I am really freaking out at this point in time. And so I come back the next month with my dad and the same thing happens again. It's the same thing. Hey, I'm the guy from last month. I contested it, blah, blah, blah. We go through the same thing. And he's like, all right, I'll tell you what. Since you came two months in a row to contest this ticket and the cop didn't show again, he's like, uh, you don't have to pay the ticket. I'll let you out with it. I was like, boom. Now, once again, faith restored in America. Like this is, you know, like this is what I wanted to happen all along. You maybe come to all these court dates and I feel like a, a criminal in this thing. And he was like, but since you're 16, it'll be good for you to go ahead and go to driving school. And I was like, oh my goodness, are you kidding me? I did nothing wrong. I was wearing my seatbelt. I used a blinker. I did everything right. And so I was so mad. And we get to the, my, our car and my dad's like, you know you have to pay for that, right? And I was like, oh, so it's like $150 to go to this driving school where I sit through classes all day long where they teach me like, you know, the rules of the road. And I'm like, I just turned 16. Like, I know all this. I'm in here with a bunch of people who just got DUIs and stuff. I'm like, they need this, not me. Like, I'm the good kid here. So I, I passed, finished the driving school thing. Guys, I kid you not, the next week, 
I get pulled over going 80 and a 65. <laughs> no lie. But this is where justice is served, okay? I take my receipt, my certificate from driving school. I go and I pay the ticket for the real ticket that I got. And I was like, I've already been to driving school in a different county. And they're like, it seems like you have. And I'm so glad they didn't check that the date for driving school was before the date for my speeding ticket. And so they're like, all right, we'll wipe this off your record. And I was like, I somehow, as a 16-year-old male, got two speeding tickets, one driving school course, and nothing on my record. I was like, and scene, right? Like, I, I did it, right? I was so impressed with, like, justice being served because... I had to go to driving school, so I was like, well, I might as well get the ticket that goes along with it, right? And so I learned a big lesson in justice that day. Well, in our story today of Jesus, uh, we find a situation where uh, somebody like me who wants to see justice served and, and the, the good guy come out in the end is going to have a tough time in our story. Because as we talked about throughout the series, uh, Jesus has ruffled a lot of feathers, and he's made a lot of people mad in the way that he is inclusive to everybody and he shows people love no matter where they come from or what they've done. And for some reason that tends to make people feel uncomfortable and in some cases angry. And so the religious leaders of his day have con kind of concocted these ideas and these stories about Jesus in order to get him arrested. And it goes up to like the more or less like Supreme Court of their land. And he's standing in front of uh, Pontius Pilate, who is the Roman governor of Jerusalem and, and all of the land of Judea there, who is basically, Jesus is on trial for really nothing. And the, the charges they've, they've conjured up against him is that they, he claims to be the king of the Jews. So he's clearly trying to have an insurrection and overthrow the Roman government. And I'm, you know, if you read the story, if you're familiar with the stories of Jesus, it's like he was trying to overthrow the Roman government by loving tax collectors and sinners and healing the blind. Like, I'm just saying it's not a great military strategy if you guys are into insurrections. And so I, it's, it's clearly like these charges are like fake and, and trumped up. So Pilate gets wind of it and he sends him over to uh, another guy. He's like, oh, you're from Galilee. That's another region. Sends him to this other guy, Herod, who has the same kind of thing. In fact, he has a little fun with Jesus. He's like, oh, you're the king of the Jews. And they beat him. They spit on him. They pull his hair out. They torture him just to try to get him to talk. And Jesus doesn't say a word the whole time. Well, Herod has had his fun and he's frustrated. He sends him back to Pilate. And so in this day and time, there was kind of a, a tradition, a, a cultural custom, if you will, where during the feast of the Passover, which is a Jewish uh, holiday and celebration, the Roman government would release one prisoner who was on death row as kind of an olive branch to the people of like, hey, this is like your kind of big time of year, religious holiday, I'll set one uh, prisoner free. So Pilate gets the great idea. I think we have a, a picture of this here. You guys can see it on the screen. Pilate has this great idea. He trots Jesus out there. Jesus beat up and bloodied from his time with Herod. And he goes to the prison. He goes down death row and he tries to find the worst guy he can find. And he finds this guy named Barabbas. And if you've never met a Barabbas in your life, you're about to figure out why. And so Barabbas is the worst of the worst. He's a known murderer, a, a, a rebel leader, a people who, uh, trying to overthrow the Roman government. He was a crook. He was a gangster. He was like the worst guy that we could find. So Pilate has this idea of like, I'm going like, to figure this out. Uh, I'm going to give him option A, Jesus, option B, the worst prisoner I could find in prison named Barabbas. 
And in Luke chapter 23, this is kind of how Luke breaks down the story for us. Uh, you can read along here. In, uh, starting in verse 13, it says, Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and all the people, and said to them, You brought me this man, talking about Jesus, as one who is inciting the people to rebellion. Well, I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charge against him. He's like, guys, I can't find, this guy is a Boy Scout. Like, he has done nothing wrong. It seems all he does is help people. Uh, you clearly hate him, uh, but I can't find anything wrong with him. I don't really know what you want me to do here, right? Pilate seems like a pretty logical guy. So if you're a logical person in the room, you're like, yeah, I, I can see your point. Here's what happens next. Uh, Pilate goes on, neither has Herod, the other guy I sent him to, for he has sent him back to us. And as you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. Uh, if, if some of you guys are, are, are more, you know, I don't know, delinquents in the room, or, or maybe you have friends who are, uh, essentially Pilate's like, hey, I'm going to give him community service and a fine, and we're just going to go on about our day. Is that, is that cool with everybody? He's done nothing wrong. I can't find anything wrong with him. Let's just all move on from this, right? He's, he's trying really hard to make this all work out smoothly. Well, it doesn't go that well. Uh, in verse 18, it says, But the whole crowd shouted, Away with this man, release Barabbas to us. For Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city, again, inciting rebellion, and for, once again, murder, right? Like, it's, it's bad, the worst you can get. Uh, wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again. Pilate is, like, freaking out here. He's like, right, so you guys want the murderer unshackled and just out amongst the people again. That's what you guys want. He's like, versus the healer and the nice guy. He's like, he's like I, I, even if you don't believe what he's saying, even if you're not following his teachings, like on paper, Jesus is the better option here, right? Like, like Jesus is gonna be the guy who's gonna help people. Barabbas is gonna be the guy that murders people. So on paper, it doesn't make sense, but the crowd is chanting that they want Barabbas. Here's what it goes on in the next verse. It says, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time, he spoke to them. Pilate is like losing his mind at this point. He's like, why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then released. Once again, Pilate's like, guys, you are losing your mind for no reason. This makes no sense. Like he hasn't done anything wrong and you want me to put him to death? This makes no sense. But Pilate begins to realize something that is happening here. He begins to realize that now his own judgment and his own, you know, like uh, authority is being questioned because if the people cause a scene, he might be removed from office and from power. So Pilate, while he sees Jesus has done nothing wrong, starts to panic and get a little bit of cold feet for the justice that he's trying to serve. Here's what it says in the next verse. With loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. Finally, Pilate's like, all right, have it your way. I don't want to get fired over this. And you can almost in your mind picture the scene where the crowd is just like, I mean, going absolutely nuts for Barabbas, Barabbas, we want Barabbas, give us Barabbas. And so Pilate gives the signal, and the guards come up, and they unchain and unlock this like thug, this murderer, this gangster who walks down off the platform and back out amongst the people into the crowd. And like for me, just like even reading the story, I'm like, oh, this has like a, a chill go down my spine. I'm like, we just like sent evil loose out into the wild. And this guy who's done nothing wrong is going to be put to death. 
Like, if you have that, that sense of justice within you, you're like, what, God, hold on, this isn't fair. This can't be how this happens. And, and the worst part is, in the story, like, we don't see Barabbas change. He doesn't come back to Jesus and he's like, ah, my Lord and Savior, thank you so much for uh, setting me free and going in my place. Uh, can I do anything for you? I have so much gratitude in my heart. Like, you know, Barabbas probably went right back to doing the things that got him thrown into prison to begin with. We don't hear anything else from his story, but from what we know about him, it doesn't seem like that there was anything different happening because of this encounter that he has with Jesus. And Barabbas is probably feeling pretty good because the people are chanting his name, Barabbas, Barabbas, give us Barabbas. And he's probably like, wow, I'm making a difference here. People, they, they love me. Like, I didn't know that I was so missed this time that I've been incarcerated. Like, I can't believe that they want me over this other guy. And so he just goes back to living his life. And so the sense of justice within me is like, this is so not fair. God, how could you let this happen to your own son for crying out loud? And what I began to realize is that day, the people in the crowd that day were not the people who set Barabbas free. In fact, uh, it wasn't the people that set Barabbas free. It was the love of God that set Barabbas free. Because it seemed like that the people were chanting for Barabbas and, and they were the ones that, that forced Pilate's hand and in order to save his own neck, he decides to let him go. But in reality, that wasn't the case. I, I was listening to a, a message by a, a pastor named Judah Smith. Maybe some of you guys have heard of him. And he, he tells this story in this powerful and dynamic way. And he says this so eloquently and so well when he says that it wasn't the people that set Barabbas free. It wasn't Pilate. It wasn't anything that happened on that platform that day. It was the love of God that set Barabbas free because God had to treat Jesus the way Barabbas deserved so that he could treat Barabbas the way Jesus deserves. Let me bring that home for everybody in the room right now real quick. In this story, Barabbas is the bad guy, right? Like he's the, the nameless, faceless, not nameless, but the faceless, like, you know, kind of like bad person that we can't really explain why he goes free. But in reality, in the story, Barabbas is me and Barabbas is you. Because in the same way that in order for uh, God to, to treat Barabbas how he treats Jesus, he had to treat Jesus how Barabbas deserved to be treated. The same is true for you and I. In order for God to show us the love and grace that we receive from him, the same kind of grace that Barabbas was shown, the, the pardon for all of the wrong that he had done, somebody had to pay for that or else God wouldn't be a just God. And so Jesus willingly steps up and takes Barabbas's punishment, a punishment that this murderer deserves, Jesus gets and in my mind, I'm reading the story, I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. How, why would Jesus do this? Not, not only just for Barabbas, why would he do this for me? Why do this for you? Why would he be willing to take the punishment or something that he didn't deserve? And as I was like preparing and studying and reading, I learned what Barabbas' name means. And I thought it was so incredible because like I said, I don't, I don't know any Barabbases. Maybe you guys have a estranged Uncle Barabbas that I don't know about, but like, I don't, I don't know any Barabbases. But I found out this is what his name actually means. The name Barabbas means son of the father. 
In Hebrew, Bar is, is, is son and Abba is father. And his name literally means son of the father. Not son of a father, because that would be every son, but the son of the father. That the reason that Jesus took Barabbas' place that day is because, strangely, God loves Barabbas. And in my mind, I'm like, that makes no sense. He's, he's done wrong. He was, the, he was the rightful person to go to the cross. He was the person that should be put to death. But God sent his son Jesus to take his place. Just like God sent his son Jesus to take my place and your place. The Apostle Paul says it in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, for while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, I think sometimes in our lives we get it backwards and we think that in order for God to love us, we have to be first lovable by God. But the truth of the matter is, is that God chooses to love us long before we were ever lovable. In fact, he takes us in our most Barabbas-like state when we are as unlovable as we get with all of our shame, with all of our mistakes, with our our past, with all the, the mistakes that we've made, with all the fear that we carry, the anxieties that we allow to consume us, God loves us right there, right where we are. And the story of Jesus and Barabbas proves that to us because we don't read Barabbas making any kind of deal with Jesus and, hey man, if you'll take my place, I promise I'll, I'll follow you all the days of my life and I'll, I'll do anything for you. No, Barabbas probably goes right back into doing all the bad stuff that got him there to begin with. And it's a beautiful picture of the story of Jesus and of, of the, the good news of the gospel is that we don't have to clean ourselves up for Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. That Jesus willingly, just like that day, he left from there and they took him to the cross. And I know we talk about this in church settings a lot. And if you've been involved in church for a long time, you've heard the story of Jesus on the cross probably a million times. And if you're new to it, you're probably at least familiar with it. It's kind of like his most famous thing. But the cross was gruesome. It was a public execution of the most intense and and, and brutal kind. In fact, I mean, to go through the gory details, they would drill stake, you know, stakes, iron stakes this long into your wrists and your feet, hang you up on this cross. And, you know, that sounds bad enough, right? But you could probably survive that, except for the fact that the way that you hang with your arms back behind your shoulders like this, it compresses your lungs and you can't breathe. So the only way that you can get oxygen into your lungs is to push yourself either by your feet or by your arms up so that your lungs can fill with oxygen. So essentially, the Roman cross is a long, drung out, uh, basically asphyxiation, this, this like strangling, where you're naked and hung on this public display for everyone to watch. And it usually took hours, if not days. And Jesus willingly took Barabbas' place there. And he willingly took my place and your place on that cross. And if you're familiar enough with the story of Jesus, you know that like this had to be just the absolutely worst thing that you could possibly put your eyes on because at some point in time in the story, it says that literally God himself turns his back on this. God's own sense of justice is so bad that he couldn't bear to watch that at noonday the sky grew dark 
and clouds covered the sky because God himself couldn't do it. Jesus cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Probably because he couldn't stand to watch the injustice that was happening that day. But luckily for you and for me, that's not the end of the story. It's kind of just the beginning. Because three days later, a couple of Jesus' followers, Mary and Mary Magdalene, are going to his tomb. They've, they've buried him, they've put him in a tomb, they've put a big rock in front of it, and they're going to his tomb to, to care for the body and put these oils and spices because dead bodies tend to stink, and they're going to try to help that. And so they go there, and on their way, there's this massive earthquake, and, and they panic, and they run to the tomb thinking something may have happened to Jesus. And when they get there, their worst fears are confirmed because the, the entrance to his tomb is rolled back, and... They're freaking out, and they head inside, not knowing what they will find. And once in there, I don't think this is what they expected, but they literally, the story goes that they find an angel of God who talks to them. And this is what he says. You can read it in Matthew chapter 28, verse 5 through 7. It says, The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He's not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now, I have told you. And in the story, it would be, if the story ended at the cross, it would be the worst case of injustice that maybe has ever happened in human history. But the most beautiful part of the story is that's not the end is that in order for the justice, for the good to win and for justice to be served, Jesus doesn't stay dead. Even though he took the place of a sinner and he took the place of a lot of sinners, he doesn't stay dead. He comes back from the dead to defeat sin and defeat death. And, and what that means for me and what that means for you is we often live our lives walking around carrying the sin and death that uh, we have been shackled to. In fact, we walk around carrying the labels, much like Barabbas was known for being a murderer and a rebel and an insurrectionist. Like we walk around carrying the labels that we feel like our sins have given us. We walk around carrying the labels of, of I'm a failure. My parents are disappointed in me. We walk around carrying the labels of like, I, I, I just, I'm unlovable. Nobody seems to care about me. Or I can't seem to find someone who to, to you know, share my life. I'm, I'm, I'm desperately you know, single and looking for somebody in my life. I must, there must be something wrong with me. Or maybe you carry the mistakes and failures of a past relationship and the guilt and shame that come along with the regrets you have from those. Or maybe there's just things that have happened to you in your past and you didn't do anything wrong, but they were just things that happened to you and you feel like those things define you. But the story of Jesus and the story of Barabbas tells us that, yeah, bad things happen and, and, and all of us have our fair share of bad things. But Jesus didn't come so that those bad things can define us. He came to pay for all those mistakes, to pay for those failures, to take our place on, those, on our cross of, of life, to make it so that our sins and our failures don't define us and that death doesn't have the final say in our lives. And so the empty tomb, the tomb that, that, that was supposed to be holding Jesus' body, communicates to you and to me this truth that I hope every single one of you feel in this room tonight. Our sin is great, but the death and the resurrection of Jesus is so much greater. 
Jesus went through all of that, the, 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 the whipping and, and the, the cross and the, the death and the separation from his heavenly father and the whole story, the whole scene culminates in Jesus thinking of you. Knowing that on a night just like this, there would be a, a room full of us gathered in this place and people would come into this room carrying the burdens of life with them that every single one of us would walk into this room feeling the weight of all the stuff that you have to deal with on a weekly basis. And Jesus said, hey, I'm offering you a better way. You know, following Jesus doesn't make your problems go away, but it does set you free from being defined from your problems. And if you're in this room tonight, I pray that you don't leave here without knowing in your heart that Jesus loves you and that he would willingly trade places with you every single day of the week. In the story, Barabbas gets to be the person that feels the immediate like freedom and like, wow, my life has changed and is different because Jesus took my place. But here in this room tonight, Jesus offers each and every one of us the exact same trade. Hey, my death for your sins, my death for your shame, my death for your past, my death for your failures and mistakes. And for some of you in the room, you, you know the story. You've heard it a, a million times. You've been following Jesus and uh, tonight is, serves as a refresher for something you already know and you've already experienced. And if that's you, that's awesome. But it doesn't mean that you, just because you've heard it and just because you know it, doesn't mean you don't need to remember it. My challenge for you guys that would fit that mold is to remember what Jesus did for you and to live out of that freedom. Because you have a past, you have failures, you struggle each and every day just like everyone else. Don't allow those failures, don't allow those struggles to define who you are. Because the one who died for you says that you are a son, that you are a daughter of the Father, just like Barabbas. For some of you in the room, this might be the first time you've heard this story, or at least maybe like put the, the connection together of why Jesus did what he had to do. And if that's you tonight, I don't want you to miss out on an opportunity to experience that freedom from those things that you come in here just carrying on your back, the, 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 the fears, the anxieties, the doubts, the, the shame of your past, the, the, the memories that you have that you can't seem to shake. And if that's you, I wanna give you an opportunity to make that trade with Jesus, his death for your failures, his death for your mistakes, his death for your shame and your pain.